Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Well, I'm doing well. Not as well as Sebastian Bourdais, but doing well. Yeah, I'm having a strange sense of uh, deja vu, Kirby. All over again, huh? Kirby, let's, uh, let's mention our sponsors. South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, mention this podcast, and the owner, Saul, will give you a generous discount. And um, Neologic Beer, Golden, Colorado. You can't get any more environmental than Neologic. Dive into all things IndyCar and uh, start with talking about uh, the Sebring 12 hours. It's a good way to talk about IndyCar. Let's go talk about a sports car race. But uh, there was quite the IndyCar flavor. The aforementioned Sebastian Bourdais, of course, uh, taking the win and just continuing the role he's been on over the uh, the offseason, starting with the last race at the IndyCar season at St. Pete and continuing through offseason testing. Now at Sebring with the big win, following that up again with a new sponsor this week. So yeah. quite a role. Yeah, do you think, Curb, that um, this is going to continue? Tongues are wagging Bourdais at the moment. Now the season hasn't started yet, but do you think this uh, streak of uh, seemingly good fortune can continue with Sebastian? No, not really. Um, I think he can elevate that team, certainly. You know, I think it'd be great if he can get them to uh, sniff the top 10 throughout the season and, and uh, top 10 in the championship. I think that'd be a great result for, for that team and uh, would certainly reflect well on Bourdais and his talents. I think it's going to be the thing I want to watch this year, the progression of Foyt and Bourdais. I think that would be, if we had a drive to survive, type of scripted program that would definitely be one of the subject matters i would have to say of uh drive to survive for less curb um, let's talk about some how some of the other indycar drivers fared at uh at sebring the curious case of scott dixon who who you know let's face it uh threw their uh, almost certain victory away uh by entering the pit very late and uh, taking out a car and taking out his car. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that. The other car carried on. His did not, uh, or at least without stopping for a couple of laps for repairs. The thing, I didn't want to call Scott after, you know, the, the, the pain was so raw. But the question I would ask him is, you said that, you know, it was a late pit call and, uh, you know, you were, you were busy preparing for, and I kind of wondered what that meant, I mean, I almost got the impression he was talking about like loosening his belt so another driver could get in or something along those lines. And I curious to see him um, praising the team and all the hard work they put in and um, and expressing regret that they didn't see the benefit of that work while at the same time pointing out that they gave him a late call to the pits. Uh, I thought that was a what do they call that passive aggressive or something like that. But a um, bit. yep, a little bit of passive aggressive. And so to see him uh, make that kind of sp- mistake, no matter the circumstances, is uh, you know, kind of a surprise and unfortunate. It's a phrase we're starting to hear more and more uh, in the last year or two, Curb, uh, an un-Dixon-like mistake. Well, he certainly had his share uh, the second half of the IndyCar season, right? Built up a big lead uh, the first half of the season and then uh, watched it dwindle rapidly as one Undixon-like mistake after another occurred, uh, you know, the second half of the IndyCar season. I think it's a legitimate question to ask, you know, if uh, if and again, I you know, obviously he's going to be a favorite going in, but you know, are his skills starting to dwindle? 
Well, anybody would at that age, right? It's not uh, it's not an indictment of him by any means. So that brings up the curious case of uh, Jimmy Johnson. Another curious case. Okay. Another curious case. You know, an older gentleman, for sure. And I feel like I have to preface this discussion of Jimmy Johnson with um, I respect the fact that he has the wherewithal desire to be in the series. I respect the fact that he's brought attention to the series. And I respect that it is his right to be in it. He seems like a very nice guy. He seems like a racer to the core. I've somewhat lamented in past podcasts that I don't know if it's the best thing for IndyCar's image to have a guy, you know, at 45 or 46 years old or however old he is, to be coming into the series and thinks thinks he can be competitive. I don't you you wouldn't see something like that in uh, Formula One, for example. Putting all that aside, you know, I think it's a relative positive uh, for the series for him to be in it. However, you have to ask the question after watching him wreck the car in uh, qualifying pretty badly and then doing he's making another driver error early in the race to whether how this is all going to go in the IndyCar season, him being thrown into an even faster car, maybe, you know, arguably a little more crowded track with his type of vehicle, uh, how that's all going to go, Curb. I mean, it, it really does beg the question. To be fair, I don't think he's made any claims of uh, expectation to be competitive this season. I think he's hoping just to narrow the gap and maybe give himself a chance to be competitive in a second year if he can come back. So, you know, I think he's realistic uh, about his chances and what his performance is going to look like on the track compared to the other drivers that have been doing it their whole lives. I'm the Pollyanna on this show for Jimmy Johnson because I think you need to, you put me in the position having to defend him all the time and uh, he doesn't need defending, I guess, but um, I think he knows what he's in for and he's going to treat it uh, properly. Curb, were you pleased to see, as I was, you know, we often lament how IndyCar gets it wrong on this podcast. And I don't think we really want to turn this podcast into an IndyCar bashing thing because we love IndyCar. And that's why that's why we do this. Right. Sure enough. And as I'm sure we'll maybe when we touch on iRacing a bit later in the program, lament some of their seeming miscues. Was it heartening to you as it was to me to see that they're actually doing two things at the Texas Motor Speedway this year. One is trying to scrub off that compound, which made the racing ridiculous last year. Right. And two, actually doing some testing with more than two cars at the track. Well, I certainly was surprised to see that. That's a welcome change. If I remember correctly, next week they're going to do seven car test on day one and 17 on day two. Yeah. It's always bothered me. Like they, they, they go test some you know, try to figure out how the cars are going to behave in the air wash and all that. And then they take out like four cars, right. you know, but there's 33 cars out of Indy, you know, it's like, how could that be a test? I mean, it'll tell you some things, but it won't tell you everything. No, you know, you, uh, let's see, we tested Scott Dixon and Will Power because they're two of the best and they gave us great feedback. Uh, but gee, what a surprise. The fifth and sixth cars in line are having trouble. Yeah. Why yeah. didn't we know that? You know, like, uh, somehow we managed to turn a positive into a negative here, Curb. But for once, <laughs> they are uh, they're doing it right. Good on them. Curb, uh, this is kind of an aside, so but but uh, forgive me and, and indulge me, if you will. That's what we do. Yeah, you seem to love uh, to mention other podcasters and their podcasts. I refrain from it because I consider them the enemy in this crowded IndyCar podcasting space. 
It's cutthroat, isn't it? It is cutthroat. It's a it, everybody's fighting off for a very small piece of pie, uh, <laughs> fighting over a very small piece of pie. And uh, you know, so I I'm competitive in that way, and I just don't feel like it's right for me to 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 mention it. However, every once in a while, when I'm listening to one of our competitors' podcasts, I feel just like I can't hold it back. And uh, such has happened with me the other day with a podcaster who I still won't mention his name. Well, let me start off by saying perhaps I'm being unfair. I This person, to my knowledge, has not self-identified. It's either he, she, or it, or sis – and I'm sure I'm missing a few of the others. Uh, so I, I apologize. I think, I, think, I think the pronoun of the day is they. 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 Okay. So, and the, yes, that, doesn't that make it easier for us as human beings to get the language right, Curb? Um, <laughs> it depends, depends on your definition of the right language. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, doesn't that just really help? In they's right. podcast, they received a letter complaining about the scooters, you know, the scooters that the drivers drive on. Yeah. Uh, and I thought the gist of the letter was going along the lines of, yeah, they hate drivers being on the scooters because what they do is they get on the scooter, they quickly drive away from the both the press and the public so they don't have to talk to them. Right. Right. However, in this particular letter, uh, the 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 writer of the letter was complaining not about that, but of the fact that scooters are a dangerous. Right. Now, never mind that there's a, a professional IndyCar driver driving it, right? In some that cases, yeah. Yeah, that they were A, dangerous, and can you guess what B is, Curb? Uh, do they run on fossil fuels? Yes. Bad for the environment. Well, they and, are, they, I'm, I'm sure those scooters are heavy polluters. Yes, and how can how could this person be a fan of motor racing? And have these concerns. So to give they a little bit of credit, they kind of swatted the issue out of, uh, away and demeaned it. And which I have I, to, which actually surprises me. Yeah, wh- exactly. That's that's shocking because you. But I would have to say that that it's because of they's stance on so many things uh, in the past that it probably has brought upon letters such as these. Because they think they are kindred spirits with they. Right. Uh, but I don't know. That just annoyed me. Beyond the pale curve. Beyond the pale. I mean, I can understand if they're worried about uh, it being dangerous for Chip Ganassi to ride his scooter through the paddock, but uh, but not Scott Dixon. Well, Chip, as you know, was a one-time IndyCar driver, as was uh, Roger Penske, who scoots around on a scooter as well. well yeah, Although, I think there's a little difference there. <laughs> <laughs> An achievement, but um, but yeah, on the racetrack, I mean, as a driver, not as an owner. Would you say that Roger Penske is more accomplished on the racetrack than Chip Ganassi was? He was National Driver of the Year on the uh, cover of Sports Illustrated before he get hung it up and uh, focused on business. Hmm. He was lined up for a test at Indy in uh, I want to say '65 maybe, and. Um, I think it was I think it was General Motors, but whoever it was that he was trying to get a, a car dealership from, one condition was he had to give up racing because they weren't going to put their business in the hands of a guy that might not be there next week. So he had to give up his Indy car, his test at Indy. The driver that took his place in that test was Mario Andretti. Well, there you go, Curb. 
Maybe so. you should replace uh, Donald Davidson as the in the uh, 500 historian. Every now and then I get lucky when you uh, hit one uh, right in my wheelhouse, but otherwise I'd, I'd be an abject failure, I'm sure. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't think you. I mean, you got to bounce that off of. Uh, you know, Chip did race in several 500s and and was in the IndyCar series. I mean, you know, he did really? he did race at the top level. He did do that. You can't take that away from him. I'd put my money on uh, on Roger driving any sort of well, any, kind, any kind of vehicle these days. Do you think we could set that up as a prelude to the 500? Chip Ganassi versus Roger Penske, one on one, mano a mano, and like you know maybe a midget car or something like that. Well, I think um, they could just do a, a a scooter drag race down the pit lane, couldn't they? Well, I mean, curb. Uh, you know, Petsy's going to win that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little less drag. A little less drag. A little less drag. So I think we, you know, we have to get some, we have to get the horsepower up just to even it out a bit. Um, Put them on that dirt track and in, uh, inside turn three. Or, yeah. Or get a substantial amount of ballast ready uh, right. to, to even the, even the score. Curb, have you noticed Santino Ferrucci doing okay lately in the infinity series? Uh, he's been a pleasant surprise, hadn't he? Last three races, I believe 13, 15, 15 for the placements. And yeah, while that might sound horrible in IndyCar, I mean, there's like 40 cars out there. So it's not bad and unexpected for, I think, a team of the, of the stature of the team that he's with. Correct. What I'm led to believe. Yeah. And, um, I think not only was he 15th at Atlanta, he was, uh, you know, competitive up in the top five at one point, I think. Yeah, he was. He was. So I was walking through a locker room as the show happened to be on or the race happened to be on. And I saw and I looked up and he was fifth and there weren't that many laps left. So he seems to be doing well. I I, I got to tell you, I, I haven't I don't think I will miss him so much in an in IndyCar series, but I wish him the best of luck uh, if in, in NASCAR. And let's face it, if he nails this infinity run, he might have a chance of getting into the big show there and and uh, maybe that's what he should have been doing all along. Can't argue with the results so far and uh, combine that with his success in IndyCar on the ovals. And maybe he has found the right home. The The rumor on the street is, Curb, uh, what people, what I'm hearing is that he's the favorite for the uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, uh, Indy 500 third car. So we may see him at the 500 in that race uh, under the Ray Hall banner of all places. That'd probably be a good combination, wouldn't it? Uh, you got uh, first and third last year at the 500 out of that team. Santino was fourth, I think, wasn't he? Uh, Driving for Dale, for Dale Coyne. So uh, that'd be a, a nice lineup for them. A nice lineup. And, uh, I mean, that's a cherry ride, right? I mean, you're right, because they have a great 500 car. Uh, Santino must have, I mean, if he gets that ride, uh, yeah, he must have been the high better. Looks like a good combination all around. Did you take in the uh, iRacing event last Thursday? I took in about 45 seconds, Curb. I took all in you about could handle, seconds. huh? All I wanted to handle, to be honest. I fast-forwarded to the end to see who won. I wa- I tried to listen to the commentary and watch just, you know, some of the action. <laughs> and I'm putting this in quotations, action. And uh, I was like, wow, that's just god-awful. And, uh, and left it. You? 
Uh, well, I hung in a little bit longer than that. Uh, admittedly, did not watch it live. I watched a replay. Made it through 30 minutes or so of the broadcast, which included five or 10 minutes of pre-race festivities. Not too impressed. Um, you know, the commentary wasn't bad, but commentary did not seem to sync up with the action on the track. <laughs> so uh, there was a bit of a flaw there, I think, in the presentation. Um, you know, Jake Query from the Indy, Indy uh, Car Radio Network and... Uh, and uh, Katie Hargett, and they had a good rapport going back and forth. But again, it just seemed to be disjointed from the action, uh, so-called that was going on on the track. Only about half the IndyCar field, I think, you know, maybe 10 or 11 IndyCar drivers in the race. The rest of the field was filled out with Road to Indy fellas or uh, you know, Sage Karam, who's a part-timer. wasn't too exciting. I'm, you know, I'm not going to bash it necessarily, but it wasn't that uh, wasn't that great of an event for me. Well, Kurt, the whole thing's a little curious, right? So. First of all, you hold it while, you know, several of your marquee drivers are preparing for the uh, 12 hours of Sebring, right? So they can't they can't participate because they're busy driving real cars. Right. And then just the whole time of the season, we've been sitting around doing nothing, twiddling our thumbs. They yep. do nothing and nothing. And now finally things are starting to happen. Races are about to go up. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, we're going to queue off a, you know. A three series race. How does this make any sense? I mean, this is this is like we talked about how IndyCar got things right in Texas, or it appears to be getting things right in Texas. How did they get this so wrong? I suppose everybody these days could blame it on the pandemic, but uh, this seems to be the perfect vehicle to fill in all the time, all the downtime due to the pandemic. And why they waited so long? I mean, I think a lot of people were wondering back in December and January when's the iRacing coming. It was so much fun for people last off season. let's be real here not a lot of people are waiting, wondering yeah. that there might have been a few okay. indycar fans again you wait till what middle of march and uh the day after st patrick's day you know weather's turning people are going outside there's racing going on in a number of other series sebring as you said and hey now's the perfect time to sit inside and watch an iRacing event you know it's like then didn't, didn't make sense to me no and, and therefore, and, you know, with with half the field of drivers, you know, that aren't even IndyCar drivers. Strangely, though, um, I discovered this evening before the race doing some prep or before the show doing some prep. NASCAR is actually running an iRacing series you know, during their regular season. And I think it starts this weekend uh, or maybe this week. And it's on actually being shown on. Fox Sports One cable network. So it's on TV. It's during the season. It's not streaming. It's not on some obscure uh, social media platform that I've never heard of. I won't, I won't go. I, I'm so tempted to go on this rant about watching people play video games and how stupid it is, but I won't. Okay. Well, the, the real interesting thing about it is the last race in the series, I think it's only five races, is going to be an iRacing event on the streets of Chicago. And they're suggesting that this could be a precursor to NASCAR actually holding a race on the streets of Chicago. You're a Chicago, uh, former Chicago citizen. How do you see that? Well, I think if they want to make it interesting, they would put part of the track in South Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and and see if the drivers can not only win the race, but dodge the bullets at the same time. Keep all the hubcaps on their cars. Yeah. Uh, it's, well, yeah. You pull in the pits and there goes your tires. Right. Um, um, they, they, you know, they get them off quickly, but they just don't go back on very good. Right. Uh, 
you know what? Chicago roads are so horrible, first off, right? And the city's perpetually broke, uh, which is amazing considering the tax revenue they get in. And it'd have to be along the lakeshore there. Uh, the, the amount of repaving that would have to be done, organization for the city to get it done, it'd probably be out somewhere near Soldier Field out there, I would guess, you know, somewhere yeah, there. Yeah, uh, they've got a course laid out. Um, they've worked with the city. The iRacing has gone and scanned the whole course into their, you know, computer program. Looks like it's on the south side of the Art Institute of Chicago. Yeah, which is right where I was talking about. Yep. And kind of go around Buckingham Fountain. Take in a little bit of Lakeshore Drive, come back around to the Institute Art Institute again. Looks like a decent course, 2.2 miles. Um, be amazing if that kind of thing could be pulled off in a city like Chicago with all the politics. And- well, IndyCar could never do it, I'm pretty sure. NASCAR might just have a big enough falling to where they could. It, it does smell a bit of the uh, IndyCar Boston race with the local politics and all that that would be involved. It could be um, NASCAR's first shot at uh, street racing, and and next thing you know, they've got all the versatility that IndyCar claims is uh, is what makes them different. Great point. Um, although the cars are still, you know, ponderously slow in those circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately, this track has a lot of straights and and, and a minimum number of turns, so <laughs> they should be able to get their speed up. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to see. It's hard to see that uh, NASCAR race is going, you know, operating in a tight street course environment. That's just that's hard to envision being exciting, frankly. Kerba, I'm ready to end. Uh, how about you? If we have to, I, mean, I got more. I could go all night, but uh, well, give me one. Give me, say, give me your, give me your best. Did you see the interview with Roger Penske earlier this week? No. Uh, the highlight uh, headline. From it was his goal is 250,000 fans for the 500. I, I, I did read a recap of the interview. But uh, so, you know, obviously he wants a lot of fans too early to comment on a TV contract. But then I thought what was interesting is that um, he, he actually told the press that he's already entered into contract extension talks with both Power and Pagano. And I found that surprising. Um, how about you? Uh, yeah. Um, although that can be taken a couple of different ways. Uh, first one to first one to sign stays and the other one goes <laughs> whoever's willing to do it for cheaper um, right. could stay I, uh, I I said on the last uh, program we did that I thought it was going to come down to either power or Pagano leaving the team by the end of this year and that was going to be one of the storylines to watch I would be surprised if that still wasn't going to be the case Maybe Rogers gotten his head around having a you know permanent four car team. It would seem to commit him to four cars next year, unless again, unless uh, Scotty N were to bomb. I don't know if he looks at the uh, contract situation for other drivers out there and figures maybe there's nobody coming up at the end of this year that he wants. So hey, we'll sign these guys up for one more year and and kind of time it out till somebody like Rossi or Colton Herta or Pato Award or somebody will be available. Um, I mean maybe maybe that plays into it. Could be. I mean, it could be marking time. Of course, there is Oliver Askew, Curb. He's available. Well, that's true. Uh, you never never count Oliver out. Everybody, everybody's clamoring for him to get back in the series, so it's it's just a matter of time. Well, they certainly are. Um, <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. What about... Or, is, it, is it they are or they is? Mm. 
Yeah. See, here, here's our attempts to simplify the language, and it's all of a sudden becoming more, far more difficult. Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that question, actually. Maybe but, um, I, I, you know, I, I think Arenas Vakay could, you know, if he has a good year this year, could get there. You know, I'm not as sold on him. I don't know about you. I just, I'm not quite there with him. You know, he had that, he had that really impressive race at the first Harvest Grand Prix. If I understand correctly, he put all of his red tires. On he did. He one. had a tire advantage. There's no question. And, um, you know, outside of that race, he had a couple bright spots, but yeah, you know, in the end, at the end of the day, his performance wasn't that great. Curb, I, I think you just don't like the Dutch and their somewhat superior attitude. Well, there is that. I don't, I don't know how to put my finger on it, but you're probably right. Those, those Dutch well, really. Having been to Amsterdam several times, I can tell you that uh, their superior attitude is well deserved. Is that right? Yeah, they're an elegant looking people. They're very tall, the tallest, uh, tallest people in the world. Good looking. They dress well. Cities are nice. Things are organized. They're, but they're xenophobes, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, that might be a bit unfair. Okay. Um. They do some crazy nutty things for sure. Yeah, they they're walking the walk and talking the talk. Let's put it that way. Life is good over there in Holland. Yes, life is good. Um, curb anything else? I don't think so, Justin. I don't. Thank think God. So. Thank God. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's end it there. And uh, like I said, a very strange feeling of deja vu about this whole conversation. Uh, I can't shake, but I want to thank everybody for listening. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for, uh, if you're still listening at this point, thank you very much. Yes. Good night, everybody. Good night. See you soon.